Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind. Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. Joining me today is Rose Cooper. Hello. She um, has been a print journalist for over 20 years, and she's currently a performance activist and creator of The Eloquent in the Room, which is a blog, podcast, and a band. And she totally rocks rainbow suspenders. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I love those suspenders. Oh my gosh, best dollar bin thing I ever came across. I (laughs) I love that. Yes, mm. they're super cute. Mm. Well, could we start by you giving a brief overview of your life? (laughs) That might be hard to do, uh, but just so people can get a feel of who you are. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Well, I'm the youngest in a big family and um, I had a complicated childhood resulting in childhood trauma um, and was therefore an underachiever in high school and I had a lot of insecurities um, and due to being a teenager in the 70s and having old-fashioned parents who were more like grandparent age to me, my only ambition that was given to me was to get married, have kids, leave home. Um, so I did that. Um, so I got married at 21 and after when I was pregnant with my second child, I decided to do a um, correspondence course in writing. Um, actually, someone sent me a coupon. <laughs> and the coupon said on it, if you don't make the cost of the course back in proceeds of sold writing work, they'll give me my money back. So I took that on and just before I finished the course, I sold two articles and made my money back. But I don't think a lot of people finish the course. I think it's a a bit of a scam in that way. Um, And then became a, yeah, freelancer. And at the time, like the first time my first article was um, published, I never, ever, ever in a million years dreamed that anything like that could ever, ever happen to me. And Mm -hmm. it's terrible because as much as I love my children, I really, really love my children so much. Um, They are everything there my whole life. But I think I still look back on the editor calling me up and saying, yeah, we're going to publish your piece as one of the happiest moments in my life Yeah, up to that point because I did not see myself as – being someone who could do anything creative. It just wasn't in my uh, vernacular. And um, over the years, I've taken on other creative things. And now by the time I was uh, 40, 45, I could not imagine not being creative. Yeah. 
Um, but that marriage lasted 15 years. And then a couple of years later, I got married again, and that marriage lasted 15. Actually, they were closer to 16 years. So I have a lot of life experience in regards to long-term relationships yeah. at different stages in my life. Um, I had two children with my first husband and one child with my second, all grown men now. Yeah. Um, and be- before the first marriage, between the two marriages and after the second marriage, I had a lot of casual sex. and. The reason why I started the podcast is a lot of it is because I've seen a a sliding back, a regression of female sexual empowerment. And the way I gauge that best is by the fact that the casual sex I had and the fact that the men I was having sex with in my mid-30s seemed to have a lot more of a clue and a lot more consideration for my pleasure. And the guys I was having sex with after um, my second um, divorce, I was in my early 50s and I was still having sex with guys average age of between 25 and 35 because that's who's out there wanting to have sex (laughs) with people my age. People my age want to have sex with women younger than me, funnily enough. But, yeah, it's um, just the general obliviousness to my the the pleasure aspect of it and the communication aspect of it and the the zeroing in on what kind of kink things might I be into and, and all of this stuff, I thought, whatever happened to I don't know, just let's uh let's see if we have chemistry. Let's let's, you know. So I've it's left me with a really um bitter taste in many ways because I I was always 100% satisfied by sex in my older years, but only because I was actively looking for it and expecting it and talking people through it. And, <laughs> uh, and I would have conversations with young women and they would be talking to me about their lack of satisfaction uh, satisfaction and their self-consciousness about their bodies yeah. and it would do my head in so that's where I'm at now with the eloquent in the room is um it's led me down an interesting path into intersexual intersectional feminism and the community on Instagram for instance is just so inspiring and powerful and motivating and um I've learned so much but I feel like I've got my own bits and pieces of information that might be slipping through the cracks here and there just because of my age and the fact that I've had this unusual experience, life experience, as far yeah. as sex goes. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. I love it. Cool. Um, that's, that brings up a couple questions already that I wanted to talk to you about. So you were saying that you think that the cluelessness of guys in today's day is at least largely in part due to women's lack of sexual empowerment because I believe so. Yeah. Because you like approached these guys to have sex with them and then you kind of had to teach them or walk them through it. 
Well, the you know how Tinder works. I'm sure everyone knows how Tinder works and stuff and people would ask questions. And I get um, it felt like a, a shopping list presented to me by most people mm-hmm. who, were, who were having conversations. Do you do this? It's like they're ticking this list. Are you into this? Do you do this? All this sort of stuff. Yep. And I find myself halting people in their tracks and saying, well, firstly, you don't, that's not how you start a conversation. And I know that we've, we're having this conversation around casual sex, but I have, I have, I know exactly what I want and what exactly what I need. And it has nothing to do with this kind of conversation that we're having now. As far as I'm concerned, sex is a no brainer. I don't, I don't go into it because of, like I said, because of just because of life experience and particularly being in long-term relationships and all the studies show women who have experienced long-term relationships do have a higher orgasm ratio than people who haven't. That's just because women need to build up, build up trust. And if they haven't already learned about their bodies, they learn about their bodies during the course of a long-term relationship. Just, just because your body does what it does and just because trust is what it is. So, um, yeah, so I was like, I really like sex. Like I really like sex and telling people let's just have sex. Let's not worry about what I do or what I don't do. And um, sometimes that would result in a really friendly interaction and people were really, really respectful and still it would be like me me just if if you know you know that we live in this heterosexual dominated patriarchal idea of what sex is so you still find yourself particularly in casual sex i guess going through the motions of this is what the goal is to have intercourse yeah um but i would be like okay, you've clearly watched porn and you understand that women have a clitoris, but reaching for it two seconds after you start kissing me is not the correct way to come about <laughs> things. Yeah. So I'd just be slowing people down and do, making sure they do things at my pace and afterwards um, sometimes I'd get contact again sometimes I wouldn't get contacted again sometimes I'd want to see them again sometimes I wouldn't but more often than not a lot of people would say to me oh oh like a surprise like the what I was doing and the way I was behaving was coming across to them as a surprise Mm -hmm. and I know that it wasn't like a theatrical thing on their part yeah yeah just like um I don't know, when you make someone pay attention to you, they have no choice but to pay attention to you. (laughs) And I don't mean pay attention to what I want necessarily, to pay attention to how I'm behaving and how I'm reacting to the way they touch me. And I'm not sure if I think younger women these days, because of porn, kind of if they're unfortunate enough not to have come across thoughtful lovers in their life, will approach sex as a performative thing and think more about does he like my lacy underwear 
are my tits big enough and all these other concerns. Um, and I remember having the same concerns when I was really young before I was luckily disabused of it pretty early on and realised that enjoying sex was the main thing <laughs> rather than hiding any part of my physical appearance or, or apologising for it, yeah. any of it. Mm. How did that shift for you? At the beginning? Yeah, from, you know, being more performative about it to actually what's really important is that I'm enjoying it. Um, I think, yeah, it was, um, I was like really thin and uh, geeky looking in, in high school. I never got a second glance from any of the boys and stuff. So my approach to sex back then um, was very romantically inclined and so I didn't really have a lot of um, experience until I grew into myself. So I was like 17 with my first boyfriend and I remember apologising because my breasts were small then. Mm. Then I went on the pill and they grew <laughs> yeah. several several cups overnight. <laughs> um, and... It, it was it was just he knew what he was doing he knew what he knew what was up and when when this sort of all came together a few months after we started having sex and I, I actually had started having orgasms and, and things um, I'd at least had that experience in that relationship for a year and then the next time I had sex with guys um, we'd have sex and afterwards, they would think it's over and I would say to them, um, you know that I didn't actually have an orgasm then. I'm still like only like 17 and a half, 18 at this stage. And this would sometimes result in them never calling me again <laughs> because I guess they were embarrassed or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think two or three guys down the track, I met one guy who was obsessed with cunnilingus and he had me on the dining room table and it was several times a day and he was he was insa he was insatiable and he knew what he wanted and he made me feel like me being open to receiving pleasure was the biggest gift i could ever give him mm. and i was like okay well more of that <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so i i i came to I don't know, be persuaded by the positive yeah, rather than yep. the positive yep. of of how much a man enjoys my enjoyment than I was about opening my legs in broad daylight or, or whatever. I overcome it all pretty pretty quickly after that. Yeah. Because I was fascinated by sex. I was fascinated by orgasm. I was like, how many of these can I have? Um, how big can they get? You know, what? You know, I was like yeah. really scientifically interested in it. <laughs> yes. That's really beautiful. I'm really glad that you had some lovers that just made you feel like your pleasure was the biggest gift that you could give to them. Absolutely. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So back to our previous conversation briefly. What, how would you um, articulate female sexual empowerment? That's a good question. How would you define um, it? 
um, I feel like just the word emp- empowerment is different to entitlement. Mm-hmm. And I think men have sexual entitlement rather than empowerment. And I just realized that just a second. <laughs> but um, just I think I, I think in a nutshell, it's just the belief that anybody who expects to have an orgasm as a result of being with me should 100% expect the reciprocation of that and that it's a shared experience. Mm -hmm. So um, in feeling that I was like I did have experiences as a young person and, and sexual abuse and things like that, that made me feel like a receptacle more so than anything else. Um, and that's a lot to do with youth and bad education and, and just bad upbringing, all that sort of stuff. But it, I don't know what point. I think it was just because I was able to be in a long-term relationship. I think that's the difference. Um, unless it's a, an abusive long-term relationship, just by being with someone and considering that sex as recreation is something that you both have to put effort and imagination into. And I think for most of my first marriage, I built up a bit of a fantasy life in order to meet his libido at his level. But the consequence of that was I did just become more and more orgasmic throughout that relationship. and. That was that in and of itself is an empowerment, is learning what this instrument is and being able to play it. Yep. So I feel uh, entitled to enjoy sex. I feel absolutely privileged to give enjoyment with sex. But over and above all of that, um, I've learned what this body can do. And I think women aren't especially focused on, wow, what can this body do? They don't go into sex going, what can this body do? And my biggest motivation (laughs) is to say, who knows? Yeah. The sky's the limit. Every time you, every time you think, every time you think (laughs) you've figured out all of the different nuances of things it's always going to surprise you just because if you're always on that curious journey and you're always sort of into it because it's good for you (laughs) and healthy and gives you a really great release of tension and all that sort of stuff it's a really really positive thing there's nothing not positive about the act of having sex unless you don't feel that you're being respected and seen and sharing the experience. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-mm. So would you say then that sexual empowerment is knowing your body and loving your body's capacity for pleasure and 
um, knowing the value of your own pleasure when you're with a partner. Yeah. Would that sort of summarize it for you? Is there anything else you would add? Um, I think um, I'm, even though in my own way I've always been sex positive, the sex positive movement, the fourth wave, um, has given me an, an interesting outlook on the idea of um, the enjoyment of my own physical body as a um, an expression of um, my love of life. Yeah. I would add. I would add to that. So I would add add that now, and I'm. I feel really lucky to be alive. I've got to say because I've seen some aspects of feminism exceed my wildest expectations, particularly intersexual fe- feminism and what it's done for me in opening my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sex positivity aspect of it is, for me, if I happen to get my tits out on Instagram or, or whatever, I'm doing it because I'm like, fuck, I'm alive, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy, I'm 60, uh, nearly, um, and and I'm, my health is still reasonably good and I'm really happy to be a woman, whatever that means, and I'm happy to be an out and proud bisexual woman and all of the things, and I'm like, they're not just a pair of tits, they're mine. Yeah. And I had babies and all this sort of stuff, so my empowerment and my appreciation of myself just as uh, a miracle of nature that has less to do with aesthetics and more to do with um, self-love, yeah, just pure unadulterated self-love. And I can get very emotional like it does as soon as I start to talk about self-love and self-worth, it gets caught in my throat yeah, right away because it's been a lifelong journey to get to there. Mm. Enjoying sex is one thing. Loving yourself is a whole other experience. Put the two together. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm a celibate right now. So. <laughs> but, but that you know, can you be can't, a, that you can't can have be everything. An, yeah, but that can <laughs> also be an amazing way to explore self-pleasure and everything that your body can do on your own too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Especially yeah, when a, it's combined with self-love. Absolute advocate of all of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that you brought up the love of life or the, I don't even know, you don't have a good word for it in English, but I find Shwabby. that, yes. <laughs> which is not English though, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I find that when I, to me, sex and sexuality, obviously they go hand in hand, but I can easily touch base with my sexuality on a day-to-day basis without having sex. Like I don't need to have sex in order to be a sexual person or connect with my sexuality. And when I do connect with my sexuality, it's far more than just having sex. It's like this, it's this vibrancy and this aliveness Mm. and this, it's like, it's an, it's an energy, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like the Mm. ability, like having sex gives you, you the ability to, create life and have children, right? Like in a very um, kind of DNA, you know, 
human at a cellular level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. And so I think sexuality as an energy is like it's the same thing. It gives you the push and the desire to create and to be a part of life. Like it's about mm. life as a mm. whole, not just um, not just having sex. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was talking you as you. We both know you. You got. Um, you heard about me through Wyoli's, um Sex Stories, sex stories podcast, yeah. and we were talking about that creative energy or that erotic energy being part of our creative journey, too. And it's no coincidence that while I am celibate at the moment, I'm creating like a son of a bitch. Yeah, and I de- and I definitely feel, <laughs> and I definitely feel. Um, sexual energy coursing through me creatively um, because any form of self-expression can't not be erotic if you're a sensual kind of person and um, we take so much for granted. We take our own skin for granted. You know, just, just we take our own hands for granted. We take so much for granted that's tactile about being a human being. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so you mentioned that you believe that um, men often feel entitled to orgasm or to sex. I forget exactly what you said. What would well, it look I feel? Like? I feel that the 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 patriarchy. Let's. I, I'm trying to not assign it to men specifically, but patriarchy. Mm-hmm has built a structure that sees one thing as the AC and the other thing as the yeah. DC like the yeah. the way that the way that we couple electric currents is a male and female thing the whole idea that we are built the way we are built to accommodate the way they are built but we are secondary to that right so that entire notion has been fused into our DNA for the last couple of centuries. And, of course, men are going to have an orgasm. It's like, ha, 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 you know, like obviously there's a lot of men that do have difficulty or hesitancy or anxiety around orgasm and certain um, drugs can affect at all and all that sort of stuff. So it's not that it's 100% guaranteed, but, um, premature ejaculation is extremely common. <laughs> like it's, yep. it's, it's the their their trigger mechanism is easily accessed, whereas ours is something we have to decipher. But once we've deciphered it, the the ability to orgasm and yep. the time in which it takes to orgasm isn't really that different. But you just have to know your own code. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, I don't think entitlement is probably ever as satisfying or fulfilling as empowerment. And so Mm. for men, if men feel entitled um, and their main focus is like, oh, I want to get off as fast as I can or whatever, that's not as deeply fulfilling for them as it would be to be sexually empowered. So my Mm. question to you would be, what does a sexually empowered man look like? And do you feel like you've slept with some? And what is that like? Like, what do you see in a sexually empowered man? Wow. That's an interesting question. Good on you. 
like, I have to think about that. It's an it's it is a really interesting question because like having like having been in long term relationships and having different dynamics there, I can't say that I experienced their empowerment. Um, but I have experienced empowerment from men in my life that was about their own understanding of and enjoyment of taking their time and being that respectful person and being able to um, be extremely in, um, enthusiastic about my pleasure but also be able to lay down, relax and allow for me to be that person and be the, the giver as well. Um, and I feel I, I feel the entitlement. It's it's whoa, we're gonna get a bit light bulby right now, but I feel entitlement has obscured men's ability to have empowerment, true empowerment, because riding parallel to entitlement is a lot of shame around sex. Mm-hmm. Yep. And particularly men have a lot of shame around sex. The anxiety, that performance anxiety that they have, I don't know if there's a female equivalent to the same degree, but I know that if I was a man and I was intercourse focused and I had any anxiety about maintaining an erection, that would be hard. That would be really, really hard. And men aren't very nice to each other about this and talking about this and and calling each other names and, and all this sort of stuff. And for me to, I think I would um, equate empowerment with a man who is really, really okay with the fact that because he does tend to ejaculate quickly, <laughs> that he understands that, okay, well, to begin with, this is going to be all about you. And when you're when you're completely satisfied, I'll be so worked up. And you know, that and that's pure and utter satis- that's really satisfying for them. And I never felt like I was ripping anyone off or or it was out of whack or out of balance or anything. Mm-hmm. Um the the pure enjoyment of their masculinity is being the bringer of of the great sex is giving the orgasm as i think because men are so achievement oriented that's where they get their empowerment from i could be so wrong about that phoebe i could be way off base but um i like i say i think entitlement is and and patriarchy and all that sort of stuff sort of obscures that embodiment that men would desire more if they were more aware of it. And I'm seeing it in the media and wonderful people who, men who are writing books and men who have changed their lives and gotten into a real spiritual version of sex and gotten into tantric sex um, and 
it's it's such an elevating, wonderful thing for them. And you meet people like this, don't necessarily have sex with them, but I've met people like this in my life going to different events and things and you just see people that ooze sensual presence and you don't feel like you don't feel like um in a wily coyote cartoon you don't feel like the roadrunner turning into a chicken dinner in front of their eyes while you're talking about sex they're completely respecting you and seeing you as a human being and you could talk about sex and it's fine <laughs> that to me that's male empowerment they're not looking at you like okay you're here to satisfy me mm-hmm. they're you're we're here to share something and it's not that common and it's like the holy grail I think for me personally mm-hmm. is to meet someone who's like wants to share who I am as a human being and all the stuff but I don't think people come at sex with that sharing thing in mind yeah they come at it with a taking in mind so I kind of hear there like in our conversation about empowerment and men that there is um, again an aspect of knowing your own body as a man and in both cases with when we talked about women's and sexual empowerment and men's sexual empowerment, it's like you talk about the give and take of a sexual interaction, um, maybe more focus on men's empowerment for it to be equal, for them to be a little bit more aware of the giving part and for women to be a little bit more aware of the taking part, but that hmm. it's like, yeah, there's yep. really something yeah. there about it being a mutual human experience um, instead of just like, what's this one thing I want to get out of it? Or, yeah, it's hard so- to distill. And the absolute best person I can recommend about this giving and taking and receiving is Betty Martin. Okay and her book, The Wheel of Consent, which isn't exactly what it sounds. It kind of sounds like uh, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Will she say yes? Will she say no? Um, but it's actually, uh, it's actually understanding the difference between giving and accepting and taking and allowing. Mm-hmm. Women do a lot of allowing during the sexual exchange Mm -hmm. and we might enjoy it but for the most part we're thinking more about what we're giving in regards to the pleasure that the other person's receiving and it interferes with a woman's pleasure and likewise with men they can be so preoccupied with giving that they're not really zeroing in on their um Actually, it works both ways, but a lot of it is seeing what they want and taking it and not necessarily seeing that sometimes there's a really fine line between enjoying giving something so much that you are giving it more for your own pleasure than for the person you are that is receiving it. And I think this is sometimes where people are at cross-purposes particularly 
um, back to tender. A lot of guys will put on their profile, I'm a wizard with my tongue or right. some shit. Yeah. And they're, and they almost knock you over in the rush to go down on you. And <laughs> it's, I, I should be, I should be drawn and quartered probably for saying this, but not every, not every woman wants to be knocked over and gone down on. Yeah. Instead of instead of other kinds of foreplay inside yep. of that first five ten minutes or yep. or whatever it's like, um, but we've uh, distorted a lot of the meaning behind of a lot of what is giving and what is taking. That um, men do actually seem to want to, or the patriarchy does want it, us to give men badges that they can actually wear in public to say, "I give good head." And they think that women will just throw themselves at them <laughs> for that. Um, I can't, uh, I can't, yeah, yeah. So if both parties went into a sexual experience with the thought, what kind of experience are we having together? Mm -hmm. For women to include themselves in that equation and for <laughs> men to include both parties in that equation. Like, do you think that would kind of help distill all of this conversation into a question that people can ask themselves while they're having sex in order to kind of bring that into balance? Yeah. Again, with the sex positive uh, movement where it's in the vernacular, the word normalize, and we definitely got to normalize having conversations um, yes. over dinner. If you're yes. actually hook, know you're going to hook up, have all the conversation before you even leave the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the moment, like uh, the moment of sexual um, enjoyment and, and all that sort of stuff could be so heightened. And it's not just men that get frustrated. It's not, you know, it's, it's, a high stakes game for some people, and it and it the entire emotional um, capacity can be compromised in that moment. Sex can be a tremendously yeah. aff affecting thing, mm -hmm. um, and a tremendously vulnerable thing for people. And it's easy when you get to my age to sort of kind of forget that until you meet someone who's only supposed to be a hookup and then you have this amazing connection and you feel all these feelings come up and you go, oh, shit, that wasn't in the brochure. I've, <laughs> you know, I'm crossing a boundary here. I'm, I'm feeling all these, these feelings and, and stuff and I'm expressing all this energy towards this person and that's not kind of what they signed up for. So we have to learn to understand ourselves and safeguard ourselves and just having conversations around what your boundaries are yeah. is great, what your absolute rock hard uh, no's are, rock hard yeah. probably being a bad <laughs> phrase. To use, but, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, um, just, just eliminate the possibility mm -hmm. that someone can transgress something that could be not only a deal breaker, but somewhat traumatic yep, absolutely. for you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to just talk about 
all that sort of stuff. I, I feel like um, it's the wrong thing for me to want this, but I would really love it if people ex- did their experimentation less with other people than they're c- currently doing, but it seems to be that's how we learn about sex. Mm-hmm. Of course, sex education isn't that great. Of course, porn is misleading. We stumble in the dark from person to person and learn about it that way. Yeah. And that's such a lottery and that's so potently um, able to cause more doubt, more harm than good. So the more we arm ourselves with our own self-knowledge, the more we slow down. There is nothing wrong with having sex with someone on the first date. There's nothing wrong with having sex within five minutes of meeting someone. What's wrong is doing it for any other reason than you really, 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 really want to, and you know exactly what you're going to get out of it, and you know exact, you know, you know exactly where you are in that space, and you know yourself. Yeah, you've got, you've got no, you know, there's no moral bullshit about it. It's, it's, but if you don't have experience, there's also nothing wrong with saying can we do things a little bit slowly or, or whatever and normalise that being perfectly fine? Yeah. Mm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Rather than check out this new underwear I just bought and serve yourself up like, uh, you know, a dish on a plate and if they're giving you compliments and saying you look really hot and thanks, you're awesome and you're so sexy, that's sometimes a young woman's version of having a good time and it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm. What makes a good lover? Um, Self-awareness. Uh, sensual enjoyment, someone who actually does have, a, like, affection in their genetic makeup <laughs> and subtly, subtlety, absolute subtlety and nuance and the idea that in- anticipation is at least 80% of sexual enjoyment. Um and someone who's not afraid to be seen and have eye, you know have eye contact and and all that sort of stuff even if you're signing up for a one night stand why not take the 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 big tour <laughs> let's take the plane and go to paris in our heads as a metaphor for sex rather than just you know riding your bike down the road as the two extremes of a luxurious enjoyment of the experience that you can have with someone without necessarily, you don't have to be in love, but you can be in love with the idea of two human beings enjoying sex to the maximum potential that two human beings can enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm. Cool. I love that answer. Thank you. Yeah. I love, I love, if if I may, if it's not too out of line, I love watching you listen to me because I'm seeing you sort of go, 
<sighs> yeah, <laughs> totally. It's kind of feeding your cell memory, and you're like going, yeah, yeah, all of that. Cool. Yeah, yeah more of that. Yeah. More mm. of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's exactly mm. what's happening. Mm. Awesome. Um, in your podcast um, that you did on Sex Stories, your Sex Stories podcast interview, you yeah. were talking about the sexual, casual sex part of your life. I'm not sure if you are referring to both when you said this or just the first time that you had, um, you know, a lot of casual sex, but you said that you weren't proud of that time of your life. Mm. I was wondering, is that kind of because uh, like, okay I know this is not true actually because of who you are but is it because of that society kind of expects you to feel that way um or is it something that present day you would not approve of like there's some aspect of it or why do you feel that way Mm. yeah um very much the latter um because uh, in the 70s, I rejected all moral bullshit around the double standard to do with casual sex. I felt completely okay with that. And I thought if anybody wanted to hurl a label at me and call me a slut, I was like, yeah, and. <laughs> so it was never. Yeah. <clears throat> so I never felt shame per se. Um, but looking back, I remember how much of the way I approached just being out there and and going to pubs and meeting guys and and going to parties and meeting guys and all that sort of stuff, how much of me wanting to be noticed, wanting the attention, wanting to be kissed, um, wanting to be wanted was just about me hoping to find someone to take me away from all the stuff I had going on inside me that I was I wasn't mm. able to acknowledge at the time. So um, just the idea that I I would hook up with someone just by sheer virtue of wanting to hook up with someone, having a big crush on them, and being the last person at the party with that person awake, just talking to them, hoping that they might kiss me at the end of the night not realising that they're like, oh, she's still there, may as well. That's pretty much what was going on on their side. But me, I'm going, I've seen this guy at, at around and I really like him and if he, if he wants me, then my life will be solved in some way. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so a lot of I can't really say um, there were some one-night stands that I went into knowing that that's what they were. And either just put it down to a, a good experience or a not so good experience or whatever. It just took took all ownership of, of all of it and didn't feel bad about it, but just thought um, that wasn't um, I could have done without it. You know what I mean? Um, but for the most part, it was mainly just because I was a, a great gaping wound looking for all the band-aids in the world through exactly wanting to yeah 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 that totally makes sense would mm. you would you say that the second 
time around that you had um, casual sex, which was later, like in your 50s, that it was different? Well, the sec- sec- second time I was in my mid-30s. Okay. Yeah, between marriages. Um, and that was equal parts libido and ego. So I separate. we separated when I was 35 and ask any person turning 35 and they kind of think they're getting older and it's kind of freaking them out a little bit. <laughs> if they're a woman. Yeah. And I had had two, two children by this stage and I thought, who's going to want to have sex with a 35-year-old woman who's had two children? This is what I'm thinking. It was the mid-90s, almost completely disregarding the fact that I was a fitness fanatic and I went to the gym and I swam and I jogged and all that sort of stuff. And I was at my physical peak, arguably, then in regards to pulling power, going out to a bar and guaranteeing that I knew I could come home, you know, take someone home if I wanted to. So, um, and that was all about for the fir- for the first half of the like those two years that that went on was me not really understanding that I was oh, thinking that if you know I'd go more than a week or two weeks without sex that I'd have to go out and get sex because I was used to it and my body was gone. Come on, we're on the clock here. <laughs> Let's go. It, my body was dragging me out the door to go and get some sex. It was, you know, it was it, it was really my libido was well trained. Um, but um, but I liked the attention and I liked the fact that most of the guys I would meet would be younger than me and blow smoke up my skirt about how much more interesting I was and and how talking to me was more exciting than talking to younger women. I bought all the bullshit. <laughs> I just took it hook, line, and sinker. I, you know, I, I look back and I think that all of it was lines, all of it was bullshit, people just wanting to get me into bed. But the end result was always fine and great yeah. and I had a great time. And It was and, kind of about validating your desirability. Yep. All of that, and I was consciously aware of, particularly in the beginning, not wanting to fall in love. So I kind of, if I did meet someone who I kind of liked, I would make a point of going out again as soon as possible and meeting someone and and sleeping with someone again just to, you know, keep this in perspective, Rose. You're just going out and sleeping with people. That's what you're doing. Love is a joke. It doesn't exist. All this stuff. I was so hurt and bitter and um, I, I thought I'd been sold down the river with the whole what love is and all that sort of stuff. Therapy later, I understand it better now. But, yeah, I was very um, overt in, in picking people up. How did you pick? How do you pick people up at a bar? <laughs> you must be like really good at it by now. I I don't. Well, now I wouldn't. I, the last thing in the world I'd ever want to do. Um, but <laughs> it's just no. I'm just not that person anymore. But um, at the time, um, because I knew what I wanted, it 
seemed less seedy than it does in retrospect thinking about it. But you'd see a guy and I'd be attracted to guys who um, who were uh, interesting. There had to be something quite interesting about them. So, for instance, one guy cracked on to, that's an old expression, um, covered in tattoos, bald, had a piercing and stuff, and but was not but and was a good-looking guy. And we saw each other across a crowded pub and, and sort of maneuvered it, moving it, maneuvered our ways. And I was like, you know, I love a man who will shave his head, not go with the comb over on that. You are rocking that bald head. And I had exposed arms. You could see I had tattoos on my arms. He goes, I love women who have tattoos. And we were kissing within the next five minutes. It was, <laughs> it was that quick. Um, and other times where um, I just meet people during the course of um, events and things as I was working as a journalist then and um, so you go to parties and and all that stuff and just hit it off, just hit it off with people. And when you're a grown adult in your mid-30s, you know, if if it's on, you know it's on and you kind of know that we will be leaving together but we'll just enjoy the party, you know. So, yeah, it's really kind of civilised. As well as not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Less civilized later. Mm. Um, so if you're not that person now, who are you? Uh, like if you're um, not the kind of person to pick someone up at a bar now. Yeah. Um, and there's many reasons for that. There's uh, The obvious reason is just I have way too much respect for myself and the other person to want to have um, sex for its own sake now. I'd just seen absolutely no point. The only way I would see a point to it is if it was approached in a really, really specific kind of way. And if I was to um, imagine what that might be is like if I went to a retreat somewhere and it was a meditative sort of thing and um, I met someone who was clearly in the same headspace as I was, I would possibly negotiate a sexual experience with someone that I knew I was never going to see again based on us both having this higher thought processes around it. But that would be the only sex for its own sake I I'd ever contemplate because I just don't see the point. Sex for its own sake now is disrespectful to both parties? Um, not as a construct, not at all. Not at all. It's just not where I'm at. Like I, I just everybody have as much sex as you like with as many people as you like. Go to all the orgies, do the thing. It's it's fun, but I just think that gets to a point in your life where um, you can't unsee. Once you see people, once you have a have a lifetime of having sex, that is. Uh, the greater part part of it has been an intimacy, has been a love experience, has been a respectful experience, um, that everything else shy of that is just um, having an orgasm for its own sake and I can have all of those on my own and not actually cross energetic paths with someone and the risks that are involved with that, my heart, their heart, 
my sense of uh, my anxiety, all these things, um, my physical well-being, all of these sort of things because I'm getting older. And, like, one thing I discovered with the having casual sex post-50 <laughs> is that one thing that I think people take for granted, and this is the entitlement thing, and particularly if you've been in a long-term relationship, people have this unwritten law around the intercourse deal that if the man wants to change position, he will do so without asking. He'll just jump up and do it and physically turn you. That happens. Or or say you want to get on top and before you have time to uh, respond, it's it's happening. It, you know, the, the idea of um, ongoing consent during sex is still a relatively new concept, but it wasn't, and I was up for it when I was 35 and fit, and we could do it hanging from the chandeliers and all that sort of stuff, but once you pass 50, you're really specific about the positions that you can't maintain for a period of time. You don't know the person, and if this is going to be a long session, you want to conserve your energy and and your um, your muscles and and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very chill, <laughs> I have very chill expectations around yeah. sex now. I mean, we could kiss for two hours, and that to me would be sex, and there would probably be orgasms happening at it during <laughs> that. You know, it's like um, it's it's a uh, it's a kindness. It's an intimacy of kindness to me now because I am just a mature person who associates affection with kindness. So I I don't even want to kiss people. There was a time there I wanted to kiss everybody. I love kissing so much. I'm like, when can we start kissing? Who wants to kiss, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Totally into making out. And I'm like, yeah, just just the idea of affection now to me is – kindness and caring and nurturing and and I want to I want all of that I want to be loved up so yeah Mm. um would you say then that because you said that having casual sex for you right now would not be respecting yourself or the other person and is that just because it's not what you want yeah 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 yeah, just I drew the I drew the line in the sand about three years ago. Like um, I've been single uh, for going on eight years. So for that first five years, um, particularly the first three or four years, um, I was out there and 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 enjoying myself, and I was getting crushes and having entanglements, and it was driving me batty, and and uh, and but I was having fun, and and it was like. The people that were um, disappointing, um, I still felt like I asserted myself in that moment um, and just would just chalk it up to, oh, it's a pity that that didn't work out that great, but it wasn't because of anything that um, uh, I, I didn't do. It wasn't because of anything I didn't say and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I was just always uh, I was in there. Yeah. Um, so... I just, I, I have really strong reactions now. I think it's because of um, being played. You do get played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, I was very um, flattered 
So you get people that will play you because, you know, you're an older woman and they think, well, I'll just say nice things to her and I'll get the great sex and she'll be my slave. And you can see this agenda there and it's, oh, it makes you angry. <laughs> I bet. I just, yeah. And I'm like, and, and I also notice that it's an expectation based on their previous experience. Which also they would come angry. Yeah, so that would come up. That would be a brick wall. They'd come up to a brick wall with me because um, they would say nice things, and I would sort of say, "Please, just no, don't say that. You don't even know me. You haven't met me yet. You think I'm sexy? Wait till you get to know me. I have so much right. self regard now. But when I was 35, it was good enough that someone thought I looked sexy for me to go. Yes, you're right. That's what makes me sexy. Mm. But now I'm like, if you like the way I look, that's because you have a certain taste in a certain kind of woman, but it's not because I'm empirically some kind of attractive person. I don't care about that. Right. But but if people pick up what you're putting down energetically, I'm like, yes, I'm sex I'm a sexy woman. Yes, I am. You're right. But that doesn't mean <laughs> I'm suddenly um really, really flattered. Yes. by this so it's like it's like all the all the screens are down all the artifices all the bullshit I've heard it all I've felt all these things and still like um are you a fan of Amanda Palmer I don't know who she is oh she's a wonderful wonderful um musician and activist and and stuff yeah. and she's married to Neil Gaiman have you heard of Neil Gaiman mm. yeah well he's a, a fabulous fiction writer okay yeah and um, when those two came together, it seemed like a really unlikely combo. But the way she described the way they fell in love was like being Alice in Wonderland, um, dropping from a, a great height and her dress pillows out like a parachute and she drifts softly down to earth. And I'm thinking, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. Just, just to fall softly into a relationship with someone and have this mutual respect and mutual understanding and and none of the stupid stuff yeah. that people do. <laughs> what do you want for yourself then sexually in five years' time? You know what? I, I would never have believed it in a million years that I would be saying this to you. I'm like, I don't care. I really don't. I don't care. It'd be nice, I guess, if I had um, a nice, meaningful connection with someone um, and that resulted in us having really nice sex and I was still having it. But, but it's, um, I just, yeah, it's, I, I, I would clock it with all of my other addictions. Like I gave up smoking and a year and a half ago, I gave up drinking quite heavily and I think wanting sex to the degree that I wanted it at times in my life was very much a human addiction to um, uh, the soothing qualities of oxytocin and mm. and all of that stuff. So um, I have people in my life that I can hug. I can hug myself. I probably would settle for a kiss, buddy. If I could find someone who just wanted to hang out and kiss, yeah. I would put that out there. But as for 
as for caring about my sexual future, um, I have no expectations, desires, or ideas about that. Anything would be a bonus, I think. That that'd be nice. But I'm like so preoccupied with bucket list ticking of another ilk entirely, and that's just you know having some sort of legacy to to all of this, doing this kind of interview and just being so bare bones honest is something I don't even do on my own podcast. Don't do it that much in my blogs or whatever. Yeah. But it's a gift of and a privilege and an opportunity for me to share with you now because then I know it's out there. I can say listen to that podcast because there might be something in it for you yeah. because I'm really just vomiting truth. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, after the life that you've lived so far to this point with long-term relationships and casual sex and being really connected to yourself, sexual and your own sexuality, I have three questions for you that are all connected. So I'm just going to say all of them at the same time so you kind of know what I'm getting at. Okay. Given given your experience and the, all the research you've done and talking to people that you've done, what would you say is the one biggest thing that you wish women knew about sex and sexuality and the one biggest thing you wish men knew and the one biggest thing you wish people in general knew? Okay. It might be all the same thing. It might be all three different things. Hmm. Um, in the first instance, um, when I started my podcast, I did a series which comes in four parts and it's called 2020, An Orgasmic Oddity. And I knew where I wanted it to end up, but I wasn't quite sure the journey I would take to get there, but I knew what I wanted to tell people about the secret. <laughs> it's not a secret, but it felt like a secret because no one was talking about it. And that is that one of the most essential components of a fulfilling and more complete orgasmic experience is um, the ability to um, tune into your breathing and vocalizing during sex. And if you are having any difficulty achieving orgasm, and we all know that if we have uh, bad attention spans or whatever, sometimes, and you you be with someone, and if you if you have to concentrate during the whole orgasm thing, if that's your jam, and you have to concentrate and really zero in on it, and it's sort of like it's coming to you, and then oh no, it's not. You chase it away because you, you're distracted or they do something different or you do, you know, just the absolute fleetingness of it. Um, the best thing I could tell you at that point is to believe that it's there. You didn't chase it away. It's not difficult. It's still there. But you have to engage this vagus nerve system that's running from your brain stem th through the middle of your body down to your cervix, and this amazing highway is potent as a amplifier accelerator of orgasm. 
So that's the that's the happy ending at the end of the four episodes. But the journey there, I still have to say, okay, forget all the cultural stuff that's given you shame. Forget all the bullshit that you've been told about penis and vagina sex. Forget all this. And what would a world look like if there was no shame and all that? So I take it on a meandering journey and we go to bonobos and look at the matriarchal society that they've got going on and they're having sex with each other all the time, particularly the females having sex with each other all the time. So they're a bisexual matriarchy. I'm like, we should all just down tools, walk away from the houses and just go and watch bonobos. Every kid should have a field trip to to watch bonobos and just go, okay, okay, they're keeping them in line. And how are they keeping them in line? Everyone's having sex. Everyone's seeing sex as a as a comforting thing, as a de-accelerator of anxiety and aggression between males. You know, like it's so bare bones, but when you look at your sexuality as being on that anxiety spectrum and you look at your body as being this conduit of nerves and hormones and, and all that, and, and yes, the clitoris is absolutely fundamental, but its importance matters not a jot if you're not if you're not without inhibition and if you're not tuning into um, the pathway between your mind, your emotions, your your ability to just not just go, oh, am I going to have an orgasm? But just go see that orgasm, seize it, bring it to you, dance with it. <laughs> And just go, you know, like, I know, I you just really understand what it is. I don't think people really understand what an orgasm is, just that um, someone does something to you and that gives you an orgasm rather than you realising that your body is constantly in a state of a um, an orgasm that is just waiting to be released from your body. Yeah. So to me that's... That's what I've learned and that's what my body has learned and it learned it pretty early on and it was all about I don't want to be in any way prescriptive that women have to be mothers or anything like that, but part of being pregnant and all that sort of stuff was a very sensual experience for me and very orgasmic experience for me and all that sort of stuff. So just... Looking, just looking at your entire body as potentially an orgasmic trigger, and 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 roll with it, and and give it, give it all of yourself, give it all of your voice. Um, your body and- is in a case. You said your body is in a constant state of orgasm, waiting to be released. Yeah, I want a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> 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 I can make you one. I can make you one. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I, I sense that you already are that person. You give off the vibe that you got. You guys have a really happy sex life. Yeah. And yeah, and that it's like it's less of a. Uh, it's just a no-brainer. Every every time you have sex, that all the all the goodies are there waiting to be consumed. So what's your hurry? You know, like yeah. Yeah, um, that and I would say the same for men to understand that 
connecting their emotional selves, their vulnerable selves, and that um, that same vagus situation, pelvic floor, all of that sort of stuff. It's all the it's all kind of the same. Um, yeah, don't be afraid. For men, I just say don't don't be afraid of making a mistake. <laughs> Always ask. <laughs> Always ask, not just for consent, but is this okay? Would you like it if I do this? The the back to the wheel of consent. They have this game called the 15 minute game and the and the game is the question two questions how would you like me to touch you for 15 minutes and how would you like to touch me how would you like to be touched and how would you like to touch and the thought behind that process is the pleasure aspect of it is about you engaging what your pleasure what pleasure you get from what you're doing yeah it's like a lot of uh, like guys um, off the track here, but giving head. I don't give head to people unless I'm really into them. And when I do and I'm really into them, I'm really, really into giving head. Like it's because it's a powerful thing for me and it engages the vagus nervous system i didn't really understand this but your face is involved in this vagus nervous system your jaw your throat the whole the whole nine yards so you can put a lot of uh energy and thought into enjoying it just as much as they do not just as much but in equal measure yeah but but you it's a gift what you're doing sex is a gift and you're trading gifts and you're opening gifts together. It's not. It's not someone throwing a brick through a window and taking what they want and running away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the first time that I gave a blowjob, and I was just like, "I don't care if this feels good to you." I mean, I do, but like, I want to give you a blowjob in a way that I enjoy. Like, I'm gonna give you a blowjob for my pleasure. Yeah. And like, he loved it, of course, <laughs> but like, it was really interesting to, to do that. And I figure where I was going with that. Well, you had a, you had the mindset of wanting to be not just good at it, but to enjoy it. Totally. And I think, yeah, I, I tend to steer away from the phrase blowjob too. I, I kind of like to say fellatio and I like to say conolingus and yeah. or going down or, or whatever because um, if a guy says to me, give me a blowjob, I immediately think that this is a really one-sided idea <laughs> and it's a job <laughs> and he doesn't particularly care if I enjoy it or I don't. We should, we should change it to like so, a blow fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, and, and it, uh, I've got an oral sex podcast as well, and a part of it's me talking about cunnilingus, and the other part is me um, using what I learned from a book called uh, "Sex Tips for Straight Women" from by a gay man, mm-hmm. which was written years and years ago. Yeah, but the article still hold holds up in regards to. One golden rule, apparently, that 
women don't understand about a good head, and that's we like anticipation. We like to sneak up on it. We like to do things sort of slowly. Like, don't muck around. If you're gonna, if you want to get in there and deep throat us or whatever, just do it straight up. Like, that's kind of like there's they're not really into subtlety so much. Some are, some aren't. But but yeah, it's like being enthusiastic is a good thing. <laughs> being enthusiastic goes a long way. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up um, that 15 minutes of, you know, um, mm. what kind of touch I like or how I want to touch you. Oh, that's what made me think of the blowjob, me doing it the way I wanted yeah. to do it was this is how I want to touch you or, you know, um, I'm a big fan of timed things. People kind of think that's funny, but uh, bringing your timer into the bedroom can be really, really fun. Yeah. Like... I know a lot of people have a hard time relaxing when they're receiving oral sex because they think, oh, I'm taking too long or like, oh, Mm -hmm. he must be bored or she must be bored or like, oh, this is, you know, it's getting, I, you know, it's my turn to give now. Like, yeah. But if you just set the timer and you're like, look, I'm going to go down on you for 15 minutes Mm. and then you go down on me for 15 minutes or let's just play with this new thing for 15 minutes and see how we like it. Or let's, you know, it's, it can be really fun. Absolutely. It, it kind of takes off a lot of pressure in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are in their head way too much. Mm. Totally. Mm. Um, where did you learn about the vagus nerve? Like where can people access that? Um, I stumbled on a website that was about singing because I was obsessed with the whole sound thing. Um, and I had an agenda. And, like, seriously, I've been wanting a scientist to come and, like, stick electrodes on me and sort of actually scientifically measure what I know to be true about this this ability. It's like like, um, uh, bellows on on a fire to keep it going. It's it's very much this sound thing. And I I would get to the point of screaming, you know, at times and – that sometimes didn't go down well. Sometimes I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> scare, sure. people, scare people away. Yeah. Um, but um, so it was a bit of this, bit of that, um, mainly through the stuff I learned about um, bonobos and chimpanzees and the whole, um, uh, the idea that, there's only certain other animals that do have orgasm and they tend to make noise. And it's a device to let other potential mates know that she's in season and also that whoever wants her has stiff competition because it's, you know, <sighs> there's there's great sex going on so they better up their game. So it becomes this sort of alpha contest between the males competing for the female and she's so adept at at this whole mating thing that her body actually kind of selects the superior sperm and orgasm facilitates the sperm creating conceptions so that's that's a cool thing about going on the journey of my podcast sort of brought me around this not only is reproduction not about or survival of the fittest not about 
a, a male construct around sex, but it's it, you know it always seemed like so long as the penis enters the vagina, that's the important thing. But it's the way women are and the way we behave and our enjoyment of it and the the secretions and the orgasm and everything like that helps conception, helps reproduction outstandingly. I also came across a book. I didn't actually read the book, but I found an excerpt of it and it's called Raising the Skirt, um, The Unsung Story of the Vagina um, by Catherine Blackledge. And she's got, yeah, so she's actually got a lot of um, information about conception. And I think when you get into the science of it, then you get into finding out which of your hormones and which of the brain synapses and everything, what's firing up in the brain during orgasm. So that's the root. So listen to the podcast. I haven't got it off the top of my head, but I list um, or go to the show notes or whatever because I've listed a few websites and stuff on there. Um, and also I would recommend uh, a person called um, or a, uh, a website called Self Cervix. Yeah. And her entire focus, it's terrible, her name's gone right off my top of my head, having a senior moment. Um, Olivia, right. Um, She's uh, she's unlocking the potential of the cervix as um, an orgasmic trigger, and hugely powerful. Yeah, yeah. And like when I I, I had to have a, a hysterectomy many years ago, and um, my the the person who was conducting the operation said, "Do you want to keep your cervix or not?" And I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure that my cervix, you know, has a good deal to do with my sexual." potential and satisfaction and and she said to me well the jury's kind of out about that and I wanted to grab it by the lapels and said why don't you know the truth <laughs> so yeah I yeah. know that sometimes they took it out how do they even I don't even know how they would do that that mm. is so crazy to me yeah, oh, yeah. so it's orgasms they're the best yeah yeah and i i experienced my first one during having being in labor with my second child and having sex directly like four weeks after the delivery of my second child whatever went on during that labor opened something within me um so that the first time that we had sex rather than being a little bit trepidatious because it was you know four weeks since I'd given birth, I had my legs up over his shoulders and he couldn't get like like deeper, deeper, deeper. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was a whole other thing. So, yeah, there is no end to the enjoyment and and possibilities of what what, uh, female bodies uh, are capable of. Yeah. Mm. I think all bodies probably. Yeah. But this is this just speaking from experience. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And everything I've said up till now is my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's not science. Yeah. It is, but it's also like it's an educated opinion. Um okay. I have four more questions for you and then we're done. <laughs> 
I want to ask all of them. Do you mind? How much time do you have? I'm fine. Okay. I'm good. Yeah. No. It's they don't have to be long answers, so it's up to you. Right. Um, what's been the most surprising thing you've learned as you've gotten older about sex and sexuality? Probably the whole um, adjusting to and embracing celibacy. So it's interestingly that it's the opposite thing, I think, because um, that's surprised me because I'm coming from a a very slutty background. (laughs) And when people would say, quite often I would meet guys who were like voluntarily celibate and because their heart was broken and they hadn't had sex for two years and stuff. And I, I broke more droughts than I can count. Like that, that was just because I was like bad to admit, but I was kind of like challenge accepted. (laughs) But yeah, I'll make it better. It's all good. (laughs) Um, but that was, that was a different me back then, but yeah, it's, um, it's not just, just loving and embracing the fact that whether or not someone wants to have sex with me doesn't matter, um, Anywhere near as much as, or being, or being thought of as sexually desirable, doesn't matter. It's nice, but it doesn't matter. And I know that I went through too much of my life wanting to be desired universally by all living things, <laughs> or at least men and women equally, and and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and I thought that was important. And society tells us that that's our main currency as human beings. But as women, more specifically, our desirability. If someone wants to have sex with us, that makes us an important human being in some way, that more important than if we weren't. So um, now embodying this elder thing and thinking about getting older and being okay, not just okay with being older, but being okay with being old, which is a whole different thought like up until five years ago I wouldn't have thought I'm getting old I would always correct people just saying no I'm just getting older but physically my body is changing and my abilities and and all that sort of stuff and there's certain things I won't do or experience just because I'm more restricted because I'm getting old and that's kind of liberating so that's to me that's really really surprising because i'm okay not disappearing but i'm okay not being looked at in a certain way and i'm okay um waking up with myself cuddling myself um masturbating keeping myself to a regular routine for my mental health and physical health with masturbating um and just generally feeling really, really satisfied and happy um, with who I am as a human being completely and utterly outside of my worth as a sexual being. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. I was going to ask you if that was liberating to let go of that, like, 
And it is a it is the letting go. Society says to be desired. Yeah, it is a letting go, and it's. Um, I realize that it's an it uh, even though it feels like it's a superficial thing. I think for me, I've always attached um, my self worth to it. I've always oh. attached um, you know love to it, even though I was okay at having um, sex for its own sake there was still this little girl inside me that was still like uh, feeling very re- uh, sensitive to rejection and, and, and wanting to be the, the captain of sex. Like, yeah, I didn't really succeed at anything in my life, but I'm good at sex, you know, and I felt like that was, that was a pretty good thing. <laughs> yeah. I measured, I measured my self-worth to that. No, not anymore. And while I really, really want to encourage and hopefully coach people into becoming more empowered and and help them on their journey, um, I hope that that runs parallel with a. And how's your self worth outside of this experience? And how are you feeling as a person and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like I want to point like. To me, being sexually empowered doesn't mean having lots of sex. Mm. It could, but I feel like your choice to be celibate also comes from a sexually empowered place. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, next question is goes flows right into that, which is how important do you think your sexuality is to your happiness and fulfillment in life? Um, it's part of me. Regardless of the fact that I'm not motivated by sex, I can't not be a sexual being. And I like to party with it occasionally. As we were talking before, we went on air, absolutely thrilled to bits that Evelyn Chan shared a reel of mine, which is me playfully being a sexual being. And people respond to it like, oh, wow, she's an older woman and she's a sexy older woman. And I'm like, if you feel more kindly towards older women for that reason, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, But if people want to actually follow me on Instagram or whatever and come on my journey as a result of that, seeing me that you're also going to see me with no makeup on, not dr- not dancing around. You're going to, you're going to see uh, the empowerment of someone who um, really uh, loves, loves, loves being a woman, but doesn't necessarily want to fit into any kind of, stereotype around that idea i'm still working i'm still navigating this i'm still exploring this i mean really enjoying exploring what it means to be getting old and and having fun with it and and um expressing my protective instinct with impunity because people expect it now it's less of an imposition (sighs) if you say something to someone just by virtue of being older, people are more uh, predisposed to softening their approach and not being defensive about you caring. Mm. Sometimes women will say things to each other out of caring and another woman will think, 
you don't think I know how to look after myself. You don't think I know this. You don't think I, but, but I find young women, when I talk to them, they kind of soften towards me because they don't feel like they have to reject any of my advice. They know they can take it with a grain of salt. And when it comes across as something that they, oh my God, I actually really needed to hear that. It's, it's a cool thing. There's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing getting older. Yeah. You're finding the, the pros of it. Mm. I feel like we hear a lot about the cons of getting older and it's just presented to us as a bad thing, but I think there's a lot of pros, a lot of good things about getting older. Well, particularly the, the, the whole aesthetic thing. That, that seems to be the major thing, major um, yeah. con associated yeah. with it. And um, I'm like, I am pro women doing whatever they want to with their bodies and whatever makes them happy and all this sort of stuff. But I also feel like for myself, I feel like um, it's my duty to not care about getting older, having wrinkles going gray, all that sort of stuff, just in case it makes people feel better about getting older mm-hmm. rather than thinking, oh, I can't afford those great creams and serums and treatments and Botox. I can't afford to do that. So I'm I'm going to get uglier and old and, and I'm like, I, I look in the mirror and I love who I see because I know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying a little bit earlier that um, you're finding that being desired by everybody on the planet. Yeah. Um, Do, I think it, we all think that d- deep down, don't we? We just want to be like, yeah, you want this. <laughs> but you're discovering that that doesn't really matter. Mm. What does matter? <sighs> Um, while I don't take myself too seriously, I really don't, and I go to a lot of trouble not to take myself too seriously, it matters to me to be taken seriously when I want to be taken seriously. Mm. So um, I, I reject the fact that I'm no longer relevant because I'm older. I reject the idea that I've got nothing to bring to the table in conversations like the one we're having, presumably just because I'm no longer aesthetically matching the conversation that we're having. You know, like people might tune in and I don't know, people might be thinking, well, what do we care what a nearly 60-year-old woman thinks about sex? She's dried up and shriveled up anyway. That's that's the kind of shitty idea we have about getting that older would be their loss but <laughs> yeah yeah that's the sh- that's the absolute so so for me to be like really out there talking about um self-pleasure self-love all of these sort of things expressing my sexuality like eartha kit man she was still doing it right up until her 70s and she was still rocking it and she was still telling interviewers where to go if they dare underestimate her. Um, She was just such a powerful force of nature and she knew it and she embodied it. And it was always 
it was always her right and it was it was just it was an indisputable fact about her that's that's goals a woman like her is goals for everybody else to just be like have such a strong sense of who you are that no one else's opinion of you matters but I can still be triggered by people saying things a, a specific way um particularly in conversations with men I can be triggered by um, just not being taken seriously or having people presume they know things that they don't know. (laughs) That's really interesting that you feel like people might not take you seriously because of your age. Mm. Because I feel like I'm too young for people to take me seriously. How old are you? 34. Mm. So I think... Well, when, like, after 15 years of doing this and I'm 50, people are going to take me seriously. And so that's really interesting. Maybe just no matter what age you are, maybe it just doesn't fucking matter. And there's always going to be a percentage of the population that doesn't take you seriously for whatever reason. Because so in look- what way, in what way don't you feel you're being taken seriously or that you don't have the... I don't know. I was just imagining that people would say, oh, she's 34. What does she know? Like, she doesn't, she only has, like, she doesn't have, like, a life of experience or, you know, stuff like that. Like, I'm, like, I'd be too young to be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of too old to be taken seriously. Yeah. Okay. So, if you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked you? That I didn't. I guess maybe ask me how I mothered my children in regards to teaching them about sexuality and embodying sexuality to to young boys and men. So yes, how I modelled how I modelled female behaviour and and whispered into their ear as they were going on a date, maybe to sort of please. Rip- <laughs> Please go there. I have a four-year-old son and I want to know. Mm. Well, um, with with anyone under a certain age, I'd get onto Comprehensive Consent on Instagram. She's absolutely fantastic and already like learning body autonomy needs to start as early as possible. So that's something. If I had my time over again, I would be less inclined to tell my kids to cuddle their relatives and all the stuff that we now know is a consent violation and can mess kids up a bit Mm -hmm. because they've because of that obligation to make other people happy all the time. Um, but mainly it was um, I didn't necessarily shield my kids from um, watching. Uh, TV or anything that had um, sex scenes in it or or illusions, I'd be more inclined to shield them from violence than sex. Um, and use any excuse to have a conversation. So if if someone is telling a joke on a TV show and it's about sex and my kid laughs, I'd say, what and can you tell me why you think that's funny? Do you know what that joke was actually about? So just look at any excuse to have a conversation indirectly. 
So just be aware of um, if they're at a friend's place and they saw a movie that I might necessarily not necessarily have approved of. And what did you think the movie was about? And just, you know, just just open conversation. And very early on in the piece when they were young, South Park was born not long after I had, uh, I had kids. Um, and I didn't even know what South Park was. We, we started watching it with kids as a cartoon and then suddenly realised it's an adult cartoon. And um, still having conversations around around stuff because it was pretty full on and they were um at the time I just had the two and they were like um eight eleven or nine and twelve watching the show so at an age where they're going to get curious anyway so when they're joking about anything to do with sexuality or sex or, or anything like that I'd be like after the show well why did you think that was funny and or is there anything you didn't understand or or whatever, yeah. and kids are inclined to sort of go. Oh, I don't really want to talk about it, but um, I normalised it a lot. Um, also, in regards to making noise, I'm not sure if this is emotionally scarring to my kids, but I never really muffled sounds when they were young. Uh, it just like I'm living with your father, and this is like we're in, this is our jungle, and the bonobos are in the tree in this tree, and this is you're like. This is the environment in which you're growing up. I haven't really quizzed them much on um, whether it had a detrimental effect or whatever, um, but I do. I just know how much respect and how affectionate my two older boys are with their partners. And um, now that my boys are even older, like the two older ones are in their 30s now, we can have academic conversations around sex that that are about feminism and stuff so um but when they were teenagers or whatever i would just like uh, um particularly one of my kids was was more um outgoing more adventurous as a as a teenager and um i would just be like don't presume never presume that Someone who is having sex with you on the night the night they meet you, don't presume that they know that it's a one-night thing. Have that conversation. If that's what your intention is, have that conversation and give them the option. Mm. And I think that's the only direct, overt conversation that I had around um, really asserting something towards them, like this is something I need to tell you. I really, really need to tell you and never, ever think if someone's had sex with you that there's anything about that person that is of a lesser character or anything like that, like saying the way you feel about sex, your desire for sex, your need for sex, all that sort of stuff. Women are the same. Women are wired the same. Yeah. And just just making that clear and then them going, yeah, I know, shut up. (laughs) was it but I made sure I got it in there yeah. <laughs> yeah and um I'm happy to I'm happy to say that um at times like for my 50th birthday I had a roast and my eldest son roasted me and the fact that I used to I used to have a sex advice column and stuff when I was writing and um and he said oh made a joke like you know 
people, you know, know my mum, you know, is interested in sex and writing about sex. And, and quite often she used to say to me, Alex, sex, sex, sexity sex, sexy sex, sexy sex, sex, sexity sex, sex, sex. And <laughs> as if to say, that's literally all I used to talk about. So it take the piss out of me. Um, and I just loved that he was doing it affectionately so and that they loved me and accept me and um, wouldn't have me any other way. Interestingly, the only time I do have slight cringy moments in my life or slight uh, embarrassed moments in my life is that little voice that won't quite shut up and that is, what will your children think? But the older I get, interestingly, the easier it is to suppress the voice. I mean, because it's easy for now that you could just ask them. There, exactly, and it's also like, when does my life get to be my life? When do my decisions get to be my decision? When does me being a woman not mean that um, I'm not also a mother? And when does being a mother not mean I'm also a woman? So. For better or worse, they they've seen me at my worst emotionally and and brokenhearted in relationships, and they've they've seen everything that I've gone through, and they've helped me um, be you know they've they've let me lean on them from time to time and and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think just. Demanding to be seen as a human being was always on my agenda, and I, I, I think that their boundaries may have been crossed at different times, just because I was quite overt and stuff, and it was a bit hard for them to to deal with. But overall, I think a lot of that is still part of just society's shame attached to mm-hmm. sex being a a thing that is wrong, that is bad, that makes you know, people morally bankrupt or that me as a woman should behave a certain way. And and so I'm learning to let go. I've let go of a lot of things in my life, but I'm always still, still letting go of things. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that mothers should not be sexual. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and motherhood is the sexiest thing you'll ever do. So, mm. <laughs> Maybe not, maybe not. But the the sensuality of 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 all of that, if it doesn't put you more in touch with your primal human qualities, um, nothing will. Sort of thing. So just just seeing ourselves as human beings and and being like all other animals, but also not forgetting that we've got these amazing complex brains. That means we can control our urges. We've got to balance that. We've got to teach all of it from a very young age, everything, psychology, emotions, romance, all of that stuff. That should be taught in school and all the other stuff should be at the end of the day, okay, let's do an hour of maths, an hour of English. <laughs> we are. Let's teach you are, how to be a human being and navigate the world. Yeah, like – we are first and foremost human beings interacting with other human beings. 
Mm. So and reacting and I getting hurt, clearly getting hurt and important. having no idea. <laughs> you would think. Yeah, you would, you would think. think. But but then capitalism doesn't really care about that. They just want to put us on the hamster wheel and help us make money for people who want to make a lot of money. Mm. Mm. Oh, hippies. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> um, okay. My last question for you is um, what's one thing you wish you knew as a teenager about sex and sexuality? It might be something you've already said, but if you could go back in time and tell yourself something, what would it be? That just because someone thinks you are um, sexually attractive doesn't mean you're you're special. Mm. Doesn't mean there's anything outstanding about you or anything particularly more lovable about you or anything at all. That 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 your capacity to love and be loved is about people wanting to spend time with you and getting to know you and sharing a laugh with you and um, turning up and being reliable and being dependable and and all of that stuff and that this romantic and um, idealised, sexualized idea we have around love and sex being mutually inclusive um, while it's a beautiful thing to have both, women are fed this idea that we are just waiting to be chosen. We're waiting to be seen as better than other people, as more beautiful, as more sexy, and plucked from the obscurity of our own mediocrity <laughs> in our own heads and, and just be completely and utterly glorified by one human being who has chosen us and that's yeah that oh there's some wonderful feminists out there that i look up to that i know are putting this out there into the world and um i will always uh elevate their voices as well like evelyn's and yeah um yeah just 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 treat myself as my own best friend if I had my time over again. I wouldn't have given a shit what the haters thought. I, I wouldn't have been easily led. I wouldn't have been easily influenced. I wouldn't have been easily seduced. I wouldn't have been easily coerced. I wouldn't have been um, so many things. So You're mm. none of those things if you first and foremost belong to yourself and love yourself. Like you'll be your own person. Yeah. Know your own self. Yeah. And speak your own mind. Yeah. Just, just, uh, and, and to appreciate other people, like you appreciate yourself, but really, really see people, really, really appreciate people, see the pain they're in. Yeah. It's not until you learn a bit about, you know, human fragility that one day you just look around and you really, really see people and you see their pain. If you're empathic in any way, you feel their pain and um, it just brings out a kinder version of yourself that 
is not so self-obsessed with your own insecurities anymore. I think it's kind of it's kind of an obsession being constantly worried about, oh, do people like me? Like, are you likable? <laughs> if you are, then you know, be do something with your life, you know. Yes. Mm. We have no idea what people's lives and their inner lives are like. Yeah. And you just get a glimpse sometimes and you're like, wow. I don't know. Everybody has a story and there's good reasons why everybody is the way they are. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I like about the... Sorry, I was just going to say that's that's what I like about the relationship I have now with my adult children is they've lived a life and it's the conversations we have are at greater depth because when they're teenagers they tend to dismiss what you have to say and over time things occur to them and when you give them the opportunity to experience your vulnerability in exchange for theirs, it's absolutely the, it's not, you know, it's so little talked about is getting to have an adult relationship with the people that you (laughs) gave birth to. It's far and away probably the most rewarding thing about being a parent. Is seeing, is seeing and knowing the human being they are and how they love and what they value. And oh, it's awesome. Mm. I feel so touched by that. I feel like mm. people don't talk about that. And a lot of times they, what I see is people drift away from their kids as they become adults because they no longer have dictatorship over them. And so, oh, now they can argue with their kids and yeah, it's heartbreaking like that it? and it like damages their egos or something. And so they just get further and further away from mm. their kids. So I love hearing you say that, like just the way you explain that is so beautiful. Mm. I like, it's, I desire don't take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like just to talk to them and find out who they are and what they think. and. Well, you're right in that it's not something that we talk about that much. And I know that when they were getting to be of an age when they learned to drive and they were going to parties on their own and all that sort of stuff, um, as a parent, you go, oh, shit, actually, when I before I had kids, I didn't really take this bit into consideration. I didn't really know this was coming and it messes with you a bit because you've you're, you're got one job, protect that kid, keep it alive. That's that's the whole thing from the moment they're born. Keep that baby alive. <laughs> Nurture that baby. Keep it alive. Yep. That's 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 the job description. And when they're out of your sight, you've got no control over that. And that's that's a hefty thing. But now that now that they're getting older, we're reconnecting because there's definitely got to be a separation period yeah. where they learn about life their own way, and you let them. Yeah. And make their mistakes and all that sort of stuff, and don't sit on there. <laughs> don't sit behind them and go, "Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that." <laughs> uh, no, um, I was, yeah, I wasn't really the best advice giver then, um, 
but in the last 10 years or so, now that I'm getting further and further away from all of my insecurities and pain and trauma and, and grief and all that sort of stuff, and now that's all ebbing away, I've got all the time in the world to have the conversations that are about being a human being rather than doing any finger pointing in either direction or, you know, where kids, you, parents sometimes look at kids as um, the, a version of themselves and they, they really put a lot of uh, stake on that kid's success being a failure or a success to them, yeah. you know, like yeah. don't make the mistakes I did and, and the, the relationship becomes really overbearing and it's a protective instinct gone, you know, um, completely uh, warped. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it results in all that conflict but it really is protective instinct not knowing how to express itself in a calm, rational way. Um but yeah, having having conversations now with them, just uh, and listening to them have conversations with each other. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Amazing. Yeah, cool. Mm. Um, where can people find you that are listening? Okay, so I I have a homepage, theeloquentintheroom.com. So that's a landing page where I have got some um, blog posts. I have uh, my bios on there. Um, there's some podcast episodes on there. I'm on YouTube at The Eloquent in the Room. I'm on um, Twitter at The Rose Cooper, but it says The Eloquent in the Room. Um, and I'm on Instagram as The Eloquent in the Room. So, yeah, Google The Eloquent in the Room and, yeah, yeah, yeah you'll find me. I love that that's your handle. I think it's so clever. <laughs> but of the it, elephant it, in the room, because you talk about things that people don't talk about, right? Mm, that's the idea. That's the idea behind it. The, yeah, and the harder and more squirmy the thing. I think the whole elephant in the room is the thing that people, no one wants to talk about, but you can't get on with anything unless you do. Mm. It's the obstacle. I love those things and, the most. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your too. wisdom too, sir. and your energy and everything <laughs> with me and with my listeners. It's been so amazing. I've loved having Thank you on. Yeah, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. I really, I, I enjoy it. And I love your, again, the energy you put off. Is, I just like, good. I like, you're so chill. <laughs> That's good. She's so chill. She's just so relaxing. So it's hard not to <laughs> just go, okay, let's uh, let's go go as far as I want to go. Yeah. And then, and then I've pushed myself a bit further with this interview and gone a bit further with giving more. Mm. Mm. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Thank you for listening to and subscribing to Sexuality After. A new episode comes out every second Tuesday. You can watch these podcasts as well on my YouTube channel, Tea with Phoebe D. 
And if you have a story to share, I'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations. So please contact me via my information in the episode notes. If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phoebed.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.